Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. And I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and my co-host today, Dr. Gloria Horsley, unfortunately can't join us because her internet just went down. But we, I am going to interview one of my very favorite people today, Dr. Richard Dew, and we are going to be talking today about looking at God and grief. Richard is an Open to Hope writer. He has been a family practitioner for 55 years. He and his wife have been active members of the Compassionate Friends since the murder of their 21-year-old son, Bradley, in 1992. And I met Richard through the Compassionate Friends, where he served on the board of directors with my mother for many years. Richard is the author of three books, Rachel's Cry, which is a book of poetry, Tunnel of Light, which is a novel dealing with distress and the death of a child, as well as his newest book, which is called When Sorrow Comes, What Can God, You, and Others Do to Cope with Grief? So welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you. It's good to have you here. Is that your son Bradley behind you in the picture? Yeah, Brad, that's Bradley on one side and my pup on the other. I love it. I love it. Um, so tell us a little bit about Bradley and how you started to take this journey. Bradley was a really neat person. He, mm -hmm. he was sort of, my, my partner said I was vicariously reliving our youth through him. Mm -hmm. uh, he was everything I wanted to be as a young man and wasn't. He was really good looking. He was an excellent athlete. In fact, he had made all conference linebacker for two years in college. Wow. And he had just been uh, selected for Phi Beta Kappa. That's amazing. That's he incredible. was, yeah, he was attending a small college down in Jackson, Mississippi. And um, he decided he was gonna stay down there and work and hunt and fish with his buddies all summer. Um, Two days after that decision on his way home from work, there were two young F fellows who decided that they were going to kill the next person coming down the street. Uh, never seen him, never met him, didn't know him. Uh, wow. They chased him through the streets of Jackson, taking turns shooting at him until finally they hit him and killed him. That is horrible. So it was just a very yeah. random act of violence. Yes, yes. Unbelievable. Wow. So I imagine at that point, I can't even imagine how that must have thrown you into a really bad place in your life, a really dark place. Yeah, it, it was it was bad for for me a, a couple of years. In fact, with a homicide, it's really difficult to um, make a whole lot of progress till the trials are completed. Um, mm -hmm. I gave talks at the national conference about this. Um, about how you can't get tangled up in the trials. And I did a pretty good job of it, but really didn't feel like I'd made a whole lot of progress till the second trial. There were two people and the second trial was finished. And that was two years later. Wow. And so it sounds like you kind of put your grief on hold initially because you're wrapped up in the trial and what happened and the legal no, system. I, no, I didn't. That's what I warned people not to do. You, okay. you, you do some of it. Yeah. But no, I, we started, in fact, we probably started a little too early. We attended our first Compassionate Friends meeting a month mm -hmm. before Brad was killed. Right. Uh, and so it took me 
a couple of years to really get my, uh, maybe a year and a half to get my head screwed back on straight. And after about two years, uh, the chapter leader that had been the chapter leader for so many years is he got me to take over. And mm -hmm. so I'm chapter leader most of the time since 94. Mm -hmm. So what have you, so obviously being in a peer, a peer to peer support organization like the Compassionate Friends has helped you a lot. You've now written this brand new book. What have you, tell me why you decided to write your third book. Okay. Um, the, there was very little about grief when, when Brad was killed. This was in 92. And it, you know, yeah. now the internet is full of it, but there wasn't much then even. Yeah. So um, the one book that was a bestseller then was uh, one by Rabbi Kushner called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I read it and um, disagreed with about 90% of it. It's, his theology and my theology are poles apart. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, 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 the seed of this was planted then. I thought I would really like to write one with um, a theology that's more familiar to me. Um, yeah. But the other thing that was interesting was the one thing about that book, back toward the back, there was like three pages. And this, this probably helped me more than anything else. Um, and he said that when the, the bad, bad things just happen, you know, we won't, won't uh, have some meaning to it, but they have no meaning. They just, bad things happen. And whatever meaning that's coming to this is what we ourselves bring to it. Uh, Brad could never do, do things to make his life meaningful. So I, I had to do it for him. He said, you will inevitably erect a memorial in memory of your lost child and mm -hmm. become a nasty, negative, bitter person and influence others to do likewise. That's your memorial. Mm -hmm. If you a more caring, compassionate, helpful person, that's your memorial. And that became my mantra at that point. And so couldn't do much for a year. Or so you're just not up to helping others a whole lot then. But mm -hmm. that's been what I've tried to do since then. I think it's one of the most helpful things in healing is working to bring some meaning to the death of your loved one. I love that. And you, so you've, you've found ways to bring meaning to Bradley's life through the work that you do. Yeah, I, well, I'm working with compassionate friends, yeah, yeah. writing. Ten years after Brad uh, died, I retired from my practice, and there was a little um, faith-based clinic and uh, up by, by the Smoky Mountains for uninsured people. And I've been their medical volunteer medical director since then. But I, I dedicate all of these things to Brad. Yeah, and that that add to me gives meaning to his life. I had a quote around here somewhere. I don't see it right now by Viktor Frankl. But he said, we can, we can handle almost anything mm -hmm. if you can bring meaning to it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Viktor Frankl has been very profound in my own grief journey. Who has a why to live can bear with almost anyhow. If we figure out right. why we're here. And like you said, Bradley's doing as much in his, in his death as he did in his life through the work that you're doing. Um, so what I'm also curious about is I have worked with a lot of people that have had loved, one dies, loved ones die by homicide because I worked for, with the fire department for 10 years after 9-11. And what I'm wondering is about a lot of people have a lot of anger. 
they're very enraged and angry at the people that killed the per, you know, their loved ones. How has that been with you and how have you worked through that? And has that been something that you've noticed in your own journey? I read that and, um, and I never, you know, I, I'm sure I was angry, but I never really realized it. I, I, I was not controlled by my anger. In fact, I, when I was standing right beside the fellow who had killed my son, giving my victim's impact statement, wow, wasn't angry. Um, yeah. I, I <laughs> didn't want them to go free, but uh, right. I, 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 I really wasn't angry, and I never have figured out why. At our at our church, we we had part of the service where we quote the Lord's Prayer, yeah. and uh, and I you know I always did it and. But I don't think I ever paid a whole lot of attention to it. And I was praying every Sunday, I want you to, I want God to forgive me, just like I forgive people who do bad things to me. Mm-hmm. Think about that. That's not something you want to pray about. And so right. I decided it, it's time for me to go try to, just for me, if nothing else, to forgive these people. Uh, I, I gave a lot of talks. And the first question people always ask was, in fact, six months after he was killed, well, have you forgiven them yet? And the best right. I could say was, no, I, I don't hate them anymore. So mm-hmm. I, I sat down and wrote a letter to both of them and said, um, I can never forgive what you did, but I I forgive you. And, and, I, and I pray for you, and I have. Uh, that didn't keep me from going to parole hearings, but... Right. You know, I, I wasn't going for vengeance as uh, I was going for justice. Right. So, so when I look at your book title, When Sorrow Comes, What Can God, You, and Others Do to Cope with Grief? What can God, you, and others do to cope with grief? I was praying like mad and reading my Bible, and, uh, and I felt like God was a million miles away mm-hmm. and paying much attention to me. Uh, but it turned out is that that was me. I, I was protesting so I didn't know he was there. How did you reconnect? One of the things is you know when you when you start having uh, kind of questions about your faith, you you wonder well is what part of part part of what I believed is true and what's not. And so I I prayed really often. Give me one sign that any of this is true, and it'll all hang together. I won't have any problems then. Mm-hmm. I can pray that over and over again. Um, to show where that fits in, at the time that Brad was killed, I was taking care of my dad. Uh, they lived next door to us, and my dad had an accelerated case of Lou Gehrig's disease. About six weeks after Brad died, my mother called me at the hospital late one night and said, uh, Phil can't swallow. And so I said, well, I'll stop by on the way home. And it was sometime after midnight, but I stopped by and he couldn't swallow. And we had had talks about this uh, before this. And he said, you're not going to put a feeding tube in me. You're not going to give me IVs. You're not going to send me back to the hospital. And so uh, after we had a long talk about, well, what do you want to do now? Uh, my mother asked me, well, what's going to happen? And I I didn't want to go into all the details about starvation and dehydration and all that, but I said, you know, over the next two to three weeks, he's going to just dwindle away to a little bag of bones and die. 
And so I went up to my house and um, and I, when I said my prayers that night, I said, you know, I know dad's not going to live, but yeah. don't let him hurt and let him go quickly. And mm-hmm. before I said, amen, the phone rang and it was my mother it said, Phil just quit breathing. And to me, that's, that's a miracle. That's and all fine. I could do was say, yeah. thank you. I, I don't need any more signs. Right. And exactly. I, I've been totally at ease with my religion since that time. I love that. Um, so what advice would you give someone out there that is really struggling with the death of their child right now, Richard? Because you're such a positive person and have really yeah. good energy. And this, you could have let this made you hard and bitter, you know? You can. It's, well, the first thing I would uh, suggest, I suggest they go to compassionate friends. Mm-hmm. I was not, I was not a support group person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of thought support groups were for weak people who couldn't handle their own problems. Mm-hmm. I, because I sent all of my alcoholics, I insisted if I was going to treat them, they had to go to AA, mm-hmm. which but a big support group. And, uh, and, um, but that was it. And I still felt like support groups were for weak, weaklings who couldn't handle their problems. And when Brad died, I found that I couldn't handle my own problems. And we actually got a note from a person we'd never met uh, about three weeks after Brad was killed. And uh, I remember reading the paper. Their son had been murdered on the UT campus here in Knoxville. Wow. And she said, we, we go to Compassionate Friends and it's been really helpful. And so we went this week. And I've been going ever since. Uh, mm-hmm. To me, um, well, you know, is the most healing thing, I think, for people going through grief is to be able to talk about their loss. So being around other bereaved people, being around other bereaved parents, and if you specifically want to, you can even be around other bereaved parents who have had the death of a child by homicide. You can get as specific as you want. And I know you've taught some of those workshops. So I mean, I love it. So Richard, where can people get a hold of you if they if they need to? And where do they get your books? Well, it's 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 on Amazon and uh, okay. most, most bookstores can get it. It's at the distributors. Uh, if they want an autograph copy copy, they can go to my website, rdobooks.com. And uh, rdobooks.com. Please everybody get Richard's book if you want to know not only how to help yourself, but how to help other people. So Richard, thank you so much for being on our show. You are definitely doing your son proud with all the work that you're doing. And I'm so blessed to know you. And please, if you've lost hope, please lean on mine or Richard's until you find your own. And God bless. Thank you. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.